Our scripture reading this morning will come from the book of Exodus chapter 13. I'm going to start reading in verse 17 and then go through the end of chapter 14. In your pew Bibles, that's page 55. Exodus chapter 13, starting in verse 17. When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. For God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and return to Egypt. But God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The people of Israel went up out of the land of Egypt equipped for battle. Moses took the bones of Joseph with him. For Joseph had made the sons of Israel solemnly swear, saying, God will surely visit you. You shall carry up my bones with you from here. And they moved on from Succoth and encamped at Etham on the edge of the wilderness. And the Lord went before them by day in a pillar of cloud to lead them along the way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light that they might travel by day and by night. The pillar of cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night did not depart from the people, from before the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Pi-Hahiroth, between Migdal and the sea, in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. For Pharaoh will say of the people of Israel, they are wandering in the land. The wilderness has shut them in. And I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and he will pursue them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord. And they did so. When the king of Egypt was told that the people had fled, the mind of Pharaoh and his servants was changed toward the people. And they said, What is this we have done, that we have let Israel go from serving us? So he made ready his chariot and took his army with him and took 600 chosen chariots and all the other chariots of Egypt with officers over all of them. And the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he pursued the people of Israel while the people of Israel were going out defiantly. The Egyptians pursued them, all Pharaoh's horses and chariots and his horsemen and his army, and overtook them, encamped at the sea by Pi-Hahiroth in front of Baal-Zephon. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them, and they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, Is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians? For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. And Moses said to the people, Fear not, stand firm. And see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. For the Egyptians whom you see today, you shall never see again. The Lord will fight for you, and you have only to be silent. The Lord said to Moses, Why do you cry to me? Tell the people of Israel to go forward. Lift up your staff and stretch out your hand over the sea and divide it. 
that the people of Israel may go through the sea on dry ground. And I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them. And I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his host, his chariots and his horsemen. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. And the angel of God who was going before the host of Israel moved and went behind them. And the pillar of cloud moved before, from before them and stood behind them, coming between the host of Egypt and the host of Israel. And there was the cloud and the darkness that lit up the night without one coming near the other all night. And then Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the Lord drove the sea back by a strong east wind all night. He made the sea the dry land, and the waters were divided. And the people of Israel went into the midst of the sea on dry ground, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. The Egyptians pursued and went in after them into the midst of the sea, all Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, and his horsemen. And in the morning, watched the Lord, the pillar of fire and of cloud, looked down on the Egyptian forces and threw the Egyptian forces into a panic, clogging their chariot wheels so that they drove heavily. And the Egyptians said, Let us flee from before Israel, for the Lord fights for them against the Egyptians. Then the Lord said to Moses, Stretch out your hand over the sea, that the water may come back upon the Egyptians, upon their chariots, and upon their horsemen. So Moses stretched out his hand over the sea, and the sea returned to its normal course when the morning appeared. And as the Egyptians fled into it, the Lord threw the Egyptians into the midst of the sea. The waters returned and covered the chariots and the horsemen of all the host of Pharaoh that had followed them into the sea. Not one of them remained. But the people of Israel walked on dry ground through the sea, the waters being a wall to them on their right hand and on their left. Thus says the Lord, or thus the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore. Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians. So the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. We enter the final section of what I would call the first half of the book today. Uh, So far, We've been focused on God's redemption of His people, and that redemption has now been accomplished. They've left Egypt. Uh, For the first time, they now enter the wilderness, which will be a significant theme over the next several chapters. Very significant theme in uh, chapter 15, verse 22 through 17, verse 7. Uh, The wilderness movement will bring spiritual struggle to God's people, and we will see in that struggle that God will show up again faithful to His people. But as God's people move, as we move, maybe not physically, but as we move through seasons of life, there's two things that I want to highlight this morning. In our movements, God leads us in His mission. And in our movements, God protects us in His mission. Firstly, in our movements, God leads us in His mission. 
in a wilderness of challenge to our faith. It's verses 17 and 18. There's a context for God's moving of His people out of Egypt. It's described in those two verses. He says He did not lead them through the land of the Philistines. Now, we're getting some editorial comments uh, that obviously the original audience may or may not have been aware of. Why, why are we going this way and not that way? Maybe they had some indication of the Philistines in the land of Canaan. But here, we're told why. Uh, that road was nearer, but God knew it was dangerous. It would have obviously tempt the Israelites to turn back uh, because it would involve immediate warfare. Uh, earlier this year in the spring, we looked at the book of Joshua, which gives us evidence of that. Once they get into the land, even as they enter further into the wilderness, what do they encounter? People who want to kill them. They, they end up going to war. It even says here in chapter 15, they've left, in a sense, chapter 13, excuse me, uh, for battle. But they're going into a wilderness. That seems counterintuitive. Of course, God is doing it because He's caring for them. He knows what's best for them. He knows which direction they need to go. Not to immediate battle. But to the Israelites, this will not seem like a good idea. When I was a missionary in Ethiopia, I vacationed for a week or so in Egypt, and I took a trip to the Sinai Peninsula. There's nothing there. There's really no water. Uh, there's really no animals. Uh, it's, it's barren. It's, it's a, not the type of place you want to go and settle. And so... God is somewhat telling us through this text, I know what's best. But this is going to challenge their faith. Hebrews 11.1 will say, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Paul will say, we need to walk by faith, and not by sight. That's the challenge in the wilderness. That's the challenge for the Christian. But, but the, my surroundings look horrible. My circumstances are, are devastating. If our hope is on our circumstances and our surroundings, the book of Proverbs say, uh, hope deferred makes the heart sick. Which is what we are about to encounter with these Israelites. But... Brothers and sisters, the presence of the wilderness does not mean God is absent. Because even though He leads them in a wilderness of challenge to our faith, He does so with His own presence. He does so with His own presence. In verses 19 to 22, uh, the first answer to what will be a challenge to the faith of the Israelites is here. So as God leads them through a wilderness, they go with His very presence. There's mention here of, of Joseph recorded, uh, recording his own words from Genesis 50, uh, that he would bring his family to Egypt, but he wanted to be buried back uh, with his, his forefathers, uh, Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so he knew he would die in Egypt. But he said to the generations after him, 
God's going to lead you out of here. When he does, take my remains with you that I would not be buried in Egypt, that I would be buried with my people. And all of that is coming to pass. That's a, that's a thread that's going to go through Joshua, the very end of Joshua. But the, the motif here is that God, just like he was present with Joseph, he's going to be present in the wilderness with the people that he's called out, regardless of their circumstances. This time, he's going to go, it says, by a, a pillar of cloud by day, pillar of fire by night. He will, in a sense, physically be a light and a guide for them through their dangerous journeys. Again, we, we saw that in Joshua. He's going to continue to do this even when they get into the land, not just simply on Mount Sinai. Joshua 1.9, Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord is with you wherever you go even into a wilderness. They have fleed Egypt. That's why they're celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They didn't even have time for the bread to rise. They had to put their stuff on their backs and run by Moses' command out of Egypt after the 10th plague. They don't know exactly where they're going. They are homeless But God says, I'm going to lead you. I'm going to guide you. I am actually going with you. And like he said to Joshua on the eve of one of the first battles, I'm with you wherever you go. He gives them light in the midst of darkness. This is a theme we annually pick up during Advent but it's even rooted in the Old Testament. Psalm 119 says that God's word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We, we have been given light. We have been given a guide. It might be easy to somewhat say, well, if I had a cloud or if I had fire, boy, I'd, I'd, I'd obey. I'd, I'd believe. The psalmist We'll say that the Word is God's revealed will. You don't need anything else. It's, it's actually better than fire, physically. It tells you how to live. It tells you what to do and what not to do. That we would just simply obey it is the challenge. But that's what He's given us. But Jesus will even say, at the very end of Matthew, chapter 28, verse 20, And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. He's given us His Spirit. And He will, he will say in John chapter 8, verse 12, again, Jesus spoke to them saying, I'm the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. But that doesn't mean that we will not encounter darkness. We will walk in a wilderness. We will walk in darkness because that's when the light shines the brightest. That's why we would need a light. But the Israelites have their faith so challenged, or they will, in this wilderness. But, but they shouldn't. 
because they do have the Lord with them, His very presence. Though it doesn't take away the difficult circumstances, He's with them in it. So even in a wilderness, God is with us, and we are to remain faithful to Him. Difficulty doesn't mean God isn't in control, or that He is no longer engaged, or that He is no longer leading us. He always is. And He always will be. In the lead, with and for His people. But secondly, in our movements, God protects us in His mission. He protects us firstly, dropping down to chapter 14 and verses 5 through 9, He protects us from enemies. Verses 5 through 9 record Pharaoh waking up to the reality that his entire empire has lost its slave labor and that something must be done. Pharaoh gathers his army and chases after the Israelites with all his horses and chariots and horsemen as that's repeated over and over again because that's what his faith is really in and what he can see. Horses and chariots and men. This is terrifying. And yet, we see a glimpse of protection even here in verse 8 that God is still in control of the situation. He's hardening Pharaoh's heart, which we remember does not mean that God is in some way uh, sanctioning sin or sadistic in any way, but He's simply giving this depraved sinner over to his own natural passions. Pharaoh hates humanity. He hates anyone but himself. He destroys people. He does not believe in human rights or social justice or biblical justice or justice at all. He just attacks people and destroys them. He has a whole army chasing people who are fleeing. And yet God in this circumstance is still in control as Pharaoh seeks to put to death hundreds of thousands. All of them are enemies of God's people. And God will protect His people, even in this very difficult circumstance. A quick read through many of the Psalms of David remind us that as God's people, we have many enemies as we move throughout God's mission. David records several of his Psalms uh, in a cave, running away from Saul. Enemies on every side, it would seem. And yet there is protection. Our family has been slowly reading through Mark's gospel, which quickly records the power that Jesus has over the enemies in the spiritual world. Uh, This must be comfort to us in a sense, because like David, we have physical enemies here in many ways. We will face spiritual attack as a congregation as the session tries to move this flock to a larger pasture so that we can grow in maturity, that we could grow in number. Let's, let's not be naive. There will be a target on our backs, just like there will be in Peru as they attempt to plant a church in a new city, Lord willing, soon. And as they try to finish multiple building projects, we have an enemy. We always have Uh, But we won't always. He has been and he will be vanquished. 
But in the midst of our enemies, God protects us. But He also protects us in the midst of a faith crisis, which is what I've been kind of alluding to, that we're going to see uh, in, in a big deal in a couple of weeks. But if you look at verses 10 and 12, what do these enemies do to God's people? In a sense, they don't do anything. But if you look at verses 10 through 12, you see this, the beginnings of a, a crisis of faith. Verse 10 says that Pharaoh and the armies arrive uh, as God had encamped them and uh, put them by the sea. God knows what was going to happen. He knows what's going on. The armies are coming, and he basically tells the Israelites, camp here so they can, so they can see you and so you can see them. But the people of Israel lifted up their eyes, and they feared greatly. They're overwhelmed, spiritually, mentally, emotionally. It's too much for them. They cry out to the Lord, but then they call to Moses to blame him. Their crisis and suffering... And their fear leads to blame shifting. Well, this isn't right. This is, not, this is obviously not God's plan. He didn't lead us out of Egypt into a wilderness just to die by the army. Whose fault is it? I shouldn't have to suffer. God just saved us. Saved us for this? Moses, you're the leader. It's all your fault. Then they, they simply shift from blame shifting, because that doesn't provide really any answers. It leads them to saying ridiculous things, like they'd rather be back in Egypt in slavery, and that they never wanted to leave in the first place. And, oh, Moses, you must have led, led us out of here to die, because they didn't have enough graves to bury us in, in Egypt. As a leader, that must be infuriating. The anxiety, uh, all, all of the, the descriptions of the Passover and the unleavened bread, the plagues, uh, the, the exodus event that's already happened, they, they've, they've been freed. They've left. A moment of suffering and difficulty and uncertainty comes in, and they say, time out, uh, take us back to slavery. And they lie to themselves in self-deception, which is what our sin often does to us. They say, Moses, we never told you we wanted to leave. We told you to leave us alone. That's a lie. They've been self-deceived because they're in so much suffering, but it's because they have such little faith because their faith is not rooted in the person and the work of the Lord. It's rooted in their circumstances. I'm suffering. Things aren't going well. We may actually die. Well, I'm going to tap out. They've seen so many miracles And they're about to see so many more in the wilderness, and they're going to continually struggle in their faith. Because again, the object of their faith is their circumstances, not their Savior. So their faith will be crushed, even though they've seen miracles. Uh, Commentator Doug Stewart, he says, when hardship is encountered, the miserable past suddenly looks like the good old days. The Israelites were simply thinking 
uh, that way, the way most people think of the past when the present seems unbearable. Wow, I mean, it, it couldn't have been that bad when we were slaves. We were being beaten to death and we were witnessing murders of our own people capriciously. How ridiculous. But in, in this moment, this corporate entity that had known nothing but abuse want to go back, even though they've been saved miraculously. How are they going to get out of this faith crisis? They're going to see that God protects them in the midst even of their faith crisis with His actions. We saw again verses 1 through 4 that the scene has been set for the final event in Pharaoh's life where God has already assured us that He's he knows what's going to happen. He's, he's led the people sovereignly to this very point. The people are in such a faith crisis, they can't pay attention to what's really happening. The fact that there's a pillar of cloud and fire leading them skips their mind. They're in total panic. But God intervenes with His actions. Verses 15 to 18 record God telling Moses, most of us are familiar with this story. Moses to lift his staff, divide the sea so the Israelites can go through. God surrounds the people in verses 19 to 20. Verses 21 to 25 record the waters parting. The Israelites go through as on dry land. The Egyptians then realize the Lord is the one who's clogging their wheels when they try to uh, retreat. They get halfway through. They realize they're not going to make it. They got to retreat. They start to realize what's been happening this whole entire time. Verses 26 to 29 record God telling Moses, stretch out his hand again. The water came on the Egyptians. As the Israelites made it to safety on the dry land, all the enemies of God are defeated. Verse 31, Israel saw the great power that the Lord used against the Egyptians, so the people feared the Lord, and they believed in the Lord and in his servant Moses. So the the very actions of God on behalf of His people transform their fear into faith. Transform their mistrust into Moses into trust once again. And Moses, in his own words, confronts them in their lack of faith, not by saying, well, look what I'm about to do. Look at me, your leader. Look at the amount of faith that I have. No, he says, look what the Lord's about to do. Look at the Lord. Look at His great work of salvation. Don't look at yourselves. Don't look at your circumstances. Don't look at me. Don't look at Pharaoh. Don't look at your enemies. Look at the Lord. His great work of salvation. That's what transforms fear to faith. This wasn't simply about the events because they had already witnessed the plagues, the initial exodus out of Egypt. Soon their faith will stumble again in a few weeks. Faith is rooted in who God is, what He does. We have something better. We might look at our own weak faith and our own fearful circumstances, our own suffering, our own questions, our own anxiety, our own thoughts about the future that we cannot control. 
We might ask, is it really well with my soul? We have to say yes. Because in our hearts, we've witnessed a greater exodus. Not an exodus from slavery, but an exodus from sin. By our great King Jesus. That Colossians chapter 2 will tell us, this he set aside, being our sin, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities, and he put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. This Exodus event is pointing forward to something eternal, to something greater. That it is well with my soul, because my greatest enemy has already been defeated, not simply Satan. My own sin, my own disbelief, my own lack of faith has been transformed because it's not now based on my circumstances or even the amount of faith that I can muster, but it's based on the object, which is Jesus, who's rendered the greatest work of salvation since these events in Exodus, his own death and his resurrection. That's how He leads us. That's how He protects us. So our faith must grow because of who He is and what He's done for us, regardless of the circumstances that you're in. That's the point of this passage being alluded to by Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul mentions the Red Sea crossing in Exodus 14 as a baptism into Moses. What? What does that mean? He had just encouraged them in 1 Corinthians 9 regarding ethical discipline and self-control. Paul is connecting the Exodus to the New Testament church and to us. Dr. Wright says this language of baptism signifies in the name of, like being baptized into Jesus, but that it means into a relationship of saving grace, responding faith, and loyal adherence. Here's the point. Why do I want to obey anything God tells me to do? especially when I'm living in a wilderness because of what He's done for me. That's true of the Israelites who just witnessed the plagues in the Exodus. That's true of you and me because what what God has done for us in Jesus. He's not simply my Savior from my sins. He's the Lord who gets to lord over my life and tell me what to do and guides me through His Word by His Spirit. He's protected me from all evil eternally. And so therefore, why isn't my obedience growing? Look to his work of salvation. Paul alludes to this event to the Corinthians to say the Israelites were marked by the waters of the Red Sea, taken out, having been saved of their enemies, the Egyptians. This is the mark of redemption that defines their life. Therefore, their relationship with the Lord is based upon that redemption and must grow, therefore, daily in their faithful obedience to Him. Sadly, we're going to see the faith of the Israelites continue to go up and down, and some of them will die in the wilderness in disbelief. What's the answer? What's the solution? 
As Paul says in 1 Thessalonians 5, we are children of the day. Don't walk in darkness. Walk in light, in obedience to His revealed will and His word. Why? We have something greater than the Exodus event. We have the very light of the world who has shined in the darkness of our hearts and the darkness will never overcome it. Nor any darkness that you will see or face tomorrow. Therefore, be faithful to Him because of what He's done for you. Let us pray. Lord Christ, we ask that you would use this events that are so common to many of us if we've grown up in the church, if we've watched popular movies. The point of the Exodus event is to save your people, but that they would base the rest of their life not on their fearful circumstances or the amount of their faith, but on the redemptive act, on you yourself, Lord. For you have rendered to your people salvation. Not simply freedom from slavery, but freedom from sin eternally. Lord Jesus, would you help us? Would you encourage us? In our faith in the wilderness, we pray in your name. Amen.